you don't spend enough time having experiences with people in the context of their lives, you don't get an opportunity to go deeper. You don't get a chance to understand their true desires and motivations and values, all the things you were just talking about. host and Emily Ken. And before we start with today's show, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. Today, our special guest is Sue Bevan Bagot, and she's a speaker, an innovation leader, an angel impact investor, and a board member with a proven track record of uncovering deep human insights that lead to impactful innovations and breakthrough business results. Welcome to the Mindset Zone, Sue. Fabulous to be here with you, Anna. And uh, I had the privilege to meet you several times in person in a speaking training that we are both part of. And I still remember the first time I heard you saying that to improve innovation success, we have to start with empathy, not technology. And I was, what? And I was absolutely attracted by the way that you see innovation differently than most people. I think when we speak about innovation, we immediately think about technology, but you say mm, maybe it's not the best route for innovation. So can you tell us a little bit about this? Well, I think you're right, Anna. A lot of people, when they hear the word innovation, they think about technological advancement. And of course, technological advancement is part of the innovation process, but uh, technological advancement alone is not enough. If those technological advancements aren't improving people's lives, improving human life, then they really aren't creating value. And so that's why when I think about innovation, I think about you know, the human side first. Who is it that you're serving and how are you making their lives better? That's how you create value and that's how you create innovation that's successful, that people so, desire and that's successful. So give us a concrete example because yes, this makes sense. It's the who we are making the lives better. It's not innovation for the sake of innovation. But so but give us a concrete example how this focus on the human side of innovation, this human-centered innovation really can catalyze things for the better. So early in my career at P&G, I had an opportunity to work on global innovation, um, beauty brands such as Pantene and Head & Shoulders. Uh, a little bit later in my career, I had an opportunity to transfer into P&G's baby care business and to work on the Pampers brand. Now, at that time, you know, Pampers had been a highly successful global brand but they were starting to experience competitive pressure and business decline. Now, Pampers' historic success had been their ability to deliver superior absorbency, right? And they had made a number of technological advancements to help diapers become you know, more and more absorbent. And that's what they believed, you know, 
parents were looking for. In the meantime, things were changing. Competition was coming in. They were getting closer and closer to Pampers, you know, technical performance and absorbency. And uh, parents, particularly moms, started thinking about other aspects of diaper design. No longer uh, was absorbency the only thing that was important to them. So, uh, so as I transferred in, I was doing some work with um, some of the existing you know, baby care leaders, which quite frankly, at that time were mostly men <laughs> and most did not have a lot of experience with changing diapers. Now, I was a relatively new mom, two sons within 15 months. I'd been changing a lot of diapers. <laughs> Practical experience. I can relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Practical experience. But as I came in and I was speaking to some of the, you know, uh, historic innovation leaders, and I went around and I talked to them to help understand what they thought uh, was the key to to success. And I distinctly remember one of the uh, one of the European, one of the German leaders telling me, I know exactly what you need to do. You need to make the diaper change more like an oil change. Get in, get out, get it done. <laughs> so highly absorbent, highly efficient. That was it. And that was his view of the ideal diaper change. And as a new mom, I wasn't so sure. <laughs> so we, we did a lot of work to try to understand our customers at a human level, to understand the lives of parents and particularly moms and babies and what was happening in their lives and what was important in their lives before then understanding, okay, how does the diaper change fit in? And so we spent a lot of time having experiences, sharing experiences with moms and babies. And what we learned is that the thing important in their lives was developing these strong uh, bonding moments, these moments that were going to help their child to develop, you know, healthfully and happily and, you know, building those bonds that would last a a lifetime, um, ensure that success and create that, that positive connection, you know, between mom and baby. And, um, you know, the current state of diapers at that time, which, you know, had sort of a a absorbent core and then a plastic back sheet. So it was almost uh, the the core would, you know, yes, absorb the the pee and the poop and the back, she would hold it all in. But that experience of wrapping your child's bum in a plastic bag was yes. just not consistent with, you know, building these loving bonds. So we said, well, what could we do? What could we create? How could we turn diapering into a positive bonding experience between them? I love that because as um, I still remember when my daughter was a baby and this, yes, of course, we want something that there is, doesn't leak, absorbs well, lasts longer and all of those tech things that are important. But the bonding is like the, the bad time, the diapers, we do it so often that we want to be a pleasant experience. And thinking about that you are referring the plastic touch or a more kind of fabric feeling touch can make all the difference. Um, And we feel that we are better parents. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
But no, you're absolutely right. And what we did when we had um, shared all these experiences with parents. So, you know, we went to where they were living, you know, where they were um, caring for their, their, all the things they were doing to care for their child, um, uh, all the things they were doing to ensure their healthy development. And we found just what you were saying, that there were all of these bonding moments that were so important, you know, breastfeeding, uh, bathing, you know, cuddling time, et cetera. And the current diaper experience was way outside of that. So when we shifted to, okay, um, not thinking about diapering as this kind of functional efficiency moment, but thinking about how might diapering be possibly a more loving bonding moment, that's when we were able to, you know, create some um, significant uh, differences in future designs. So we went and looked for what are the standards of excellence for parents and bonding, right? That skin to skin touch that, um, you know, the things that people were doing at different stages of their baby's development when they're infants, they, they wrap them in swaddling blankets and they, and they want to create bonds by creating emotional um, comfort and security. And so we looked for like the perfect swaddling blanket to model the infant diapers. Wow. And and that is like you really, you broaden your view, your perspective. You brought more information in and that, and that human factor, what people feel, what people expect, what people want, the co uh, customer. And that allows you to see more avenues and more ideas to innovation. Exactly. exactly. And, and I'm curious, I don't know if this was after your time there or not, because I remember my daughter, the moment of these recordings is 13. So this is going 13 years back. And uh, I remember one of the things that was a priority for me, besides all that we refer already here in terms of the diapers, was the ecological impact of it because I had read that diapers, the the not cloth diapers were not very good to the environment. And I was thinking about, okay, the future and this takes so many million years to degradate. Was that also something that already were in the field of view when you were working there? Um, a, a, a little, a little bit. It well, probably wasn't a major driver, but it was there a little bit. And one of the things that there were actually some misconceptions about uh, the whole idea of like energies and diapers, because um, you know people thought that oh, cloth diapers were going to be you know more maybe ecologically friendly. But actually, when you use cloth diapers, you bring in some different kinds of ecological challenges. Uh, well, first of all, the holding pee and poop against a child's skin is actually kind of detrimental to their skin. So that's a human health concern. But then also um, when you deal with cloth diapers, you, um, you still have to clean them, right? And so if you do a full cradle to grave analysis around kind of energy usage and things like that, uh, then cloth diapers have their own <laughs> Yeah, it's challenge too. And Challenges. I I think even in the marketing of it, they call it because I, trust me as a, a mom at the time was like, a, um, like the lack of information and knowing what was the best, how do you say, to be able to make that kind of analysis and decisions 
or something that we already have so much anxiety if we are doing the right thing or the wrong thing, if we can do better or and all of that. That was another thing in this equation. And this takes us to what, because you always speak about, and I remember from your keynote, uh, uh, that you speak about these three core dimensions that are essential to for any uh, business to be successful in terms of their innovation. And yes, there is this human element. So tell us a little bit about this, these three core dimensions. Sure, sure. Yeah, the reason that creating really transformational breakthrough innovations is so challenging, Anna, is that you do have to balance three core elements. So you have the desirability, which I call the human human factor. And that's, are there enough humans that are willing to, that desire what you're creating and willing to invest in what you're creating because it's creating value for them, right? So there's the desirability piece. Then there's the feasibility piece. So, and that is, can we bring that desirable experience to life? Is there, you know, the technology, the skills, whatever it's going to take to create that desirable experience? So that's the second factor. And then the third is viability. Is there a business model that um, allows us to do that time and time again, such that we can have a you know growing and sustainable business success? So when you're trying to do that, um, it's often a cyclic process. I often draw innovation in a little bit of spiral, which indicates the experiments you have to go through to net to balance desirability feasibility and viability, because it doesn't you know, happen instantaneously, right? Particularly if you're trying to create a big breakthrough. But what can happen is that organizations, particularly those who've maybe had a lot of historic success, having technical feasibility innovations can sort of forget <laughs> about the changes in human context and end up wasting a lot of time, effort, and energy establishing feasibility when there isn't sufficient desirability. Yeah. And is that human element? And the, you spoke before when you're speaking about the pumpers, the diapers, about interviewing the customer, knowing the person. And I always think about that sometimes. And Apple, I think, is an amazing example of it. If we think the first, uh, uh, when they start with iPods, is not, or they say, the technology, the feasibility already of the MP3 players was already out there. Uh, there were other, Sony was a big one in the music mm -hmm. field, and they, they had the MP3 players, and they had all the technology behind it. And they were selling. I think there was some uh, viability there. There was they were selling that devices as an alternative to the CD, the Walkman, and the CD players that we could carry around. And they were focused on the 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 memory of the thing, how fast it was, and all of that. And I think one of the genius that Steve Jobs and Apple in general is is that they they are able to see the human element. They are able to see even beyond. The, what people will be able to express their needs and desires because when the beauty of the, the of the hardware the the thing that it fits in the pocket i still remember the marketing genius of steve jobs a thousand songs in your pocket but oh is that desire of taking instead of having to take all that little uh, the cds with all the pockets that we could put the cds to take and decide which one it was a thousand songs the elegance of it was something that i think you could not uh, 
get from a survey to the cost customer, but you can see beyond, you really went into who the, you were designing and articulating a desire that the person itself cannot articulate. That I think is uh, the, the big price in the innovation. Will you agree with that? Oh, yes, absolutely. And um, it's interesting because Steve Jobs was very you know, dismissive about the interaction with the consumer. And I, I somewhat disagree with him. I think it's so many companies, though, they ask consumers the wrong questions, right? And I think what the beauty of what Apple did is they took a look at the total life context, right, of people. And they looked at their love of music and they looked at their desire to have the access, right, to all of that. And then that's what they designed against, right? They designed against this desired experience for people. And then, then they turned it into something feasible. And then they used those same insights to speak about it. Like you said, a thousand songs in the pocket. Yeah. So it's having those foundational insights from a human side first. And then and, and, and really dig deeper is the, the yeah. peeling yeah. the onion with the that in the good marketing research is a lot of the going to the why. Why is this important? Why how is going to change people's lives? How they are going to see themselves differently, uh, and uh, their who they are, their values, what yeah. they put more uh, uh, weight and preference on. So it's a yeah. very multidimensional kind of rich kind of uh, research. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I love that you said you know it's kind of you know going beyond the surface because it is because you did you need to. You need to dig deep, right? The surface knowledge, people, what they, what's really top of mind for them, what they can say, you know, everybody hears that, right? If you don't spend enough time having experiences with people in the context of their lives, you don't get an opportunity to go deeper. You don't get a chance to understand their true desires and motivations and values, all the things you were just talking about. And um, I, I often draw like a really simple diagram to help people understand the levels of depth that you need to really um, capture the full power. So I talk about, you know, you need to understand people's functional needs and desires. And those are often the most you know, obvious ones, right? But then you need to go to that next level and understand their emotional needs and desires. And then the most powerful level of desirability is what are people's aspirations? What are their life goals? Kind of back to the Pampers thing, this building these bonds that last a lifetime, that was the life goal. And if you can create something that helps people achieve their aspirations, you know, that's the most powerful level. So getting all that, you know, <clears throat> getting to all those levels often requires a significant, you know, investment in getting to know the people you're serving. But once you've got that understanding, it's super powerful. Yeah, and and is that balance that you're of the, that three dimensions? Okay, is the human element they have to want it, we have to know, and and that unfortunately sometimes mainly in technology the one that people forget first because they are so obsessed with the tech, what they can do, the feasibility of it, and of course uh, if it's, they can produce it at a reasonable price, that they uh, but is the but keeping that like you were describing, like that cycling, that evolution and innovation between these dimensions really can be the secret to, to keep in, innovating in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm smiling because, you know, you said it, uh, 
often people, and often it's the companies that are tremendous at technology, right? You have these, these you know, super smart people creating these technological breakthroughs. Often they fall in love with their solution. <laughs> Yes. And they forget that really what's most important is, is that creating, you know, value. And so, you know, some people say fall in love, uh, fall in love. Uh, sorry, some of them, they just fall in love with the solution and, you know, they get stuck with that. Uh, some people say fall in love with the problem and that will help you develop better solutions. I say fall in love with the people that you're trying to serve, that you're trying to create value for. And that's where you get, you know, the real breakthroughs. I love that fall in love with the people that you are trying to help support and that will give you will be like your North Star to help you keep innovation. And I think, yeah, companies, this is absolutely vital for companies and to uh, be able to survive and keep uh, as the best in what they do and uh, even um, resist the or being the disruptor so instead of being the victim of disruption and yeah. but i i cannot help to think that in a personal level per, um, the person level that is also a kind of parallel here because i sometimes i love tech i love the apps in my phone i love the new technological gadget and sometimes i forget why did I got this thing? For instance, productivity stuff. I love all the little apps to for the Pomodoro method, for instance, and uh, uh, and they can be very helpful. But sometimes I find myself that I forget the why and my. I have to go back. Okay, what is the reason why I start this in the first place? Yeah, and then if it's not fulfilling, <laughs> yep. if it's not fulfilling what you desired it to fulfill, or if it's not doing it in a way that fits well into your lifestyle, or if it's too much of a hassle, then then you're not going to stay engaged with it, right? It's and, not creating the value. And so easy, mainly the productivity tools that becomes another reason for procrastinate. We are trying to use them to break the procrastination cycle, and then we you can use it as another procrastination thing instead of focusing on our goal. <laughs> and then you're touching on some of the other reasons why you need to focus on the, the human side of innovation, because you need to understand how our habits formed, how our habits changed, how are, you know, uh, how are things integrated into people's lives? Um, you know, all other dimensions of the, the human side of innovation yeah. that, uh, that you need to solve before you can have like a marketplace uh, and another thing, because even the beauty of the technology is incredible. We are able to be doing this conversation, recording this to the podcast, not in a studio. Something that if we're speaking 20, 30 years ago, we have to be to even resemble minimally the quality that we are having here had to be in a studio setting. Now we are in the comfort of our homes with the mic and headphones doing, of course, there will be distractions, can be my dog barking, can be somebody speaking. That is normal. And innovation is messy. We have, I think, is one of the things that we have to remember when we are trying to innovate, even thinking about that human-centered innovation uh, that is a messy process. It's not going to be, and that is why I love the image that you refer of the spiral. We are going to have to reevaluate, correct, improve. There is that always that constant process and either in companies or in our own lives, when we want to innovate, when we want to grow, is a messy process. Will you agree with that? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, whether it's in the context of, you know, corporate innovation, startup innovation, or, you know, personal innovation, it is going to be messy. <laughs> but if you can start by, um, by establishing, you know, that desirability, you know, and from a human level, what are you trying to create for yourself? What's ultimately things that at least you do set that North Star and, you know, the general direction. And then that gives you the ability to um, experiment and iterate with what it's going to take to, to get you there. So. Mm -hmm. And I love the simplicity of the three dimensions. I love the trios, I do say. I always is. And I think we use it so much because it's so so helpful is the three legs of a stool or the three sides of a, um, a triangle or in a circle, three, three aspects in the circle, but it's easier for us to think. Desirability, visibility, viability. And that is what allow us to make see that this can work. And I, I love even in terms, yes, companies, anybody that wants to keep developing, innovating in a business, this is so important to keep in mind that even as we grow in our personal development and in our lives, we can think about these three dimensions. What is the human, okay, what, what are we really trying to achieve? What is our aspiration here? And what is the the tech thing that can be easier for us to even to, to use to make it to help, to help us to make our life easy and sometimes can be even old tools like post-it post-its or something that is already developed that is there that we are just using in a different way and then okay um, that we are not breaking the bank in the process that we are making things work and allow us to grow individually or in a business or in a company that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and think about on a, how many changes in the past two years because of the overall shift in context, right? The pandemic, it created a lot of shift in people, right? In terms of their ability to see what was really important to them. And so a lot of companies are having to go back and reevaluate and yeah. reassess um, and, you know, they can get in trouble if they get too distant from their customer, if they aren't really close to how the context is changing. Because when and context changes, the priorities for desirability change. And is, is and that is really important because a company cannot never think about, we nail it, we have it. Because then <laughs> it's like, oops, that will be a big, big red flag. They Things are always changing. Yeah, and that's how even very successful companies, yes, can get disrupted or surprised if they aren't aren't keeping up with the context. You know, if they aren't sharing those experiences with the people that they're kind of trying to serve, if they aren't creating those empathetic connections, so that they're kind of you know monitoring the important insights that are emerging and the important changes that are happening. So. Yeah, because I was speaking just to give another concrete example as the co uh, consumer. I'm holding in my hands, people that are listening, of course, cannot sing, but I'm holding the post-it that uh, it really was a great invention that uh, was done to allow us to have these short notes that we can move from one place to the other. And then people start to use it to brainstorm in walls. 
and mm -hmm. put it in the walls. And I, I love that. I, I love the physicality of it. I love how we can move things. Yes, we have softwares that do, do that, but there is something of the physicality of doing a brainstorming session with the post-it notes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's frustrating because they fly away. We put them in our place and then they fly away. And when I was doing to do my own keynote and I was brainstorming the idea, I found once that they have the full back is glue, except a little bit strip in the bottom, exactly to overcome that uh, <laughs> challenge of flying away. They stay flat in the wall, so it's easier. We still can move them by the little corner. We still can move them around, but we don't have so many flying things around. And they really, but is that always that thinking? What can we improve? How can we yeah. adapt to the new context? How can we adapt to uh, make life easy for the customer in these particular circumstances? What mm -hmm. is always fascinating. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great example. What do you recommend for leaders in your organizations to, how can they nurture the innovation in, in their companies? What I observe as I work with a lot of, um, of large enterprises as well as with startups these days is, you know, uh, being customer centric is a little bit of a buzzword, right? Everybody says they're customer centric, but many of them are still doing their research and their understanding through the lens of current solutions. You know, uh, what could be better about the post-it note <laughs> yes. versus stepping back and understanding um, at, the, at that human life context how could, could they create value for the people that they're serving? So one of the first steps really is really shifting that mindset and saying, hmm, am I really <laughs> looking at the possibilities uh, or am I still kind of narrowly focusing on you know, the technical view or the solution view? Am I really understanding my, my customer? Or am I really taking the human view? Am I really understanding what's desirable in my customers' lives and how I could you know, enable those desirable things for them. So that's uh, so that's that's one of the things I think that that leaders can do is take a look at that. And then the other is you know thinking about what it takes to bring those desired experiences to life. And it isn't just the technical functional changes. It's how do you deliver the full experience that people are looking for. So how do you translate? into the emotional and aspirational experience. Um, back to the Pampers example, it took us several years to develop all of the different materials and you know, ways of putting them together that created um, the mom-baby bonding experience <laughs> versus the wrapping the child in a plastic bag experience. So it's, it's um, you need to really think about that. And so within your organization, you may need new skills and capabilities. You may need people who are able to make those translations, right, from the human side to the technical side. And, uh, and that may be something that people aren't thinking of that they should be. Yeah, it's that wider perspective, the full experience yeah. that always is really a culture of innovation, but put the human at the center of it. Yeah. And, and I guess one thing I, I should have added is thinking about how those empathetic connections not only help them do a better job of serving their customers, but how those empathetic uh, connections, if they can create empathetic connections with the people in their organizations, that can really drive a lot of positive innovation value because uh, 
you know, leaders who are able to create those empathetic connections, they get the benefit of that, um, that, that insight and that drive of the people. And after all, it's the people who are necessary to, you know, create the, the innovation at the Mm. end of the day. Love that because even that is another, um, another argument to bring more diversity, to bring more inclusion, because there is all the potential that is there, even in the workplace, that if we bring more voices to the table, there is more wider perspective to take in. Yeah, absolutely, Anna. And my experience as a global innovation leader, the more diversity that you have on the team, the more breakthrough results you're going to get. You know, and I was working with people from around the globe, right? And that that diversity of background, experience, thought, and bringing that into now, it needs to be done in a culture of of trust, right? So those empathetic connections are essential to create culture of trust because when you're doing innovation, you're doing risky things, right? You're doing things outside the norm. So you need that. But if you can bring that together, then you can truly, you know, take your innovation to a next level, to a much more transformational level. So I wholeheartedly agree with you. Love it. So where can people learn more about you, your work, or even get you to their organizations as a speaker uh, to help them to keep building their culture of innovation? If people are interested in learning more, please uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Let me know uh, what you're interested in. I'll be happy to to connect and, and engage. I also have a website uh, it's in the process of being updated, but it is uh, uh, powerwithinconsulting.com. Love it. And I will make sure that all those connections and all those links are in the show notes of this episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking this time of your busy day to speak with here to the Mindset Zone. I really appreciate and hopefully this conversation seeds ideas for people to really keep innovating and keeping exploring new possibilities. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you for listening and remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.